You're listening to the My Sister's Cancer podcast. I'm Kayla Crum, registered nurse and writer. And I'm Ella Beckett, social worker and cancer survivor. We're sisters on a mission to care for the cancer community through the sharing of real-life stories, a sprinkle of sass, and lots of support. Join us in a new kind of pity party. It's a pity so many of us carry the heavy burden of cancer alone. So let's make it a party and carry it together. Welcome back to the My Sister's Cancer podcast. I'm your co-host Kayla Crum, here as always with my sister Ella Beckett. Last week, you may have heard us discuss the difficulties of being a college student and a cancer patient or their sibling or relative. Uh, This week, we're going to focus on the joys of a job. So that means job for the cancer patient. That means a job for their family members uh, and loved ones and all the different ways that can look, especially in the AYA adolescent young adult space. So summer jobs between semesters of school uh, or maybe your first job out of college. It's sort of an unfortunate time, never a great time, but it's just another way that the AYA cancer experience uh, has its own unique challenges uh, in the arena of jobs as it does in so many other areas. Before we dive in, just a reminder that you can find us online at mysisterscancer.co and also on Instagram at mysisterscancer. Uh, we'd love to see you in either of those places. And you can actually email us at hello at mysisterscancer.co. That link is on the website too. And we are small enough right now that we are able to respond to all the messages. And so a couple people have shared their stories with us, told us you know what they appreciated about the podcast. And so we welcome that. If you have feedback, constructive criticism, if you want to share your story, we would love to hear from you. Uh, We also have not ruled out the possibility of having guests in the future. We don't know what that would look like yet, but we definitely have thought about expanding the voices and experiences featured on this podcast. So if that's something you're interested in and you feel like your story would fit with what we talk about here, feel free to email us at hello at mysisterscancer.co. All right. So Ella, joys of a job. I know for you, you... I guess had no job when you got diagnosed because you were 18, had just moved into college. And then when you relapsed, you hadn't really had a summer job because you were catching up on college. You did college all summer. But then there were times throughout the next several years during active treatment, maintenance, and recovery where you had school jobs, like on-campus jobs, where you had summer jobs. And I just want to hear a bit about what sticks out to you as difficult about that, what you think was challenging as someone going through cancer, trying to do that whole college job situation versus maybe what you saw me go through before you. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the first things that comes to mind when thinking about the jobs that I had throughout this season of my life is the fact that a lot of college jobs in general, like what you think of as college jobs, are not super friendly for people who have physical limitations. So, for example, like you think of serving or you think of, you know, working retail, things like that, like a lot of those more seasonal 
gigs that you often do throughout those years of your life require a lot from you physically. And I don't think I necessarily would have acknowledged that or thought of that until I was in a position where it was really difficult for me to be on my feet or to walk distances or to lift more than, you know, 10 pounds. Even in some of the job descriptions when you're applying for a job, right? It's like you have to be able to do this and be on your feet all day and all these things that were just like not options available to me in my time of recovery and regaining my strength. Um, Like you said, I remember clearly I did get a job that first semester that I was back on campus, which again, I think back to that and I'm like, not only was I just throwing myself into a full semester load of classes a month after being declared in remission, then like two months in or whatever, I was also getting a job. Like, that's just a lot to manage. Yeah, in retrospect, like, why? (laughs) Yeah, and I think some of it was like, I wanted to feel, quote, normal. I wanted to feel like, you know, I'm earning part of my way. I mean... I do want to acknowledge, like, the privilege here and the fact that, like, thankfully, you know, mom and dad were able to support me throughout this time in my life. And, like, what I'm saying is I wasn't fully dependent on myself to pay my bills, which I am very grateful for. I know that's not everyone's experience. But, yeah, I mean, I think I wanted that normal college experience. And I did really want to make money as well. But there was just a lot more, I guess, limitations for me than the average college student. That's what first comes to mind. What you mentioned about your feet, for those listeners who maybe haven't listened to past episodes, Ella experienced and still has some neuropathy from the chemotherapy, like a long-term side effect. And in those days, immediately after chemo, you know, when she was freshly in remission, it was really bad, like... She had a handicapped parking pass for a while. And so you can't like scoop ice cream all summer on your feet in that situation. And it definitely, I think, made us think more about people who have physical limitations for a variety of reasons. Yeah. Um, Whether they've had like a childhood stroke or even people with chronic issues like diabetes, like these types of things can affect the type of work you can pursue. And like you said, these particular like young adult seasonal gigs are often catered to the like quote normal healthy young adult who can just like grind through Mm -hmm. that's kind of what they want from you in these types of jobs yeah i remember mom finding you a gig one summer where you could actually sit down and did more like secretarial and administrative supportive type work which was kind of hard to find just for a summer well and they even graciously then uh, had me continue some work remotely, I remember, mm. through like that next school year and even into the next summer. So that was a huge gift for sure. Yeah, those jobs can be hard to find. I wondered if you would be willing to share a little bit about your husband's experience because he had just a great experience, is my understanding, with his employer. And I guess I just want people to know that it is possible and there are companies out there who will work with you. So for listeners who don't know, um, I am married to a cancer survivor as well. And he actually was 
out in the real world, so to speak, when he received his cancer diagnosis, um, he had just gotten his first big boy job out of college when he had a seizure that led to finding out his diagnosis of brain cancer. Um, and his employer was so incredibly understanding and supportive. And then when he went through all of his treatment, like he'll tell me stories of how, I mean, he was just like so sleepy and they would just let him like sleep in if he needed to, like do what he was able to when he could. Um, they've just been incredibly accommodating really throughout his whole journey and just so supportive and flexible with whatever he needed. Like if he needed to leave for a little while, take a longer break, like they just wanted to keep him and they made that very clear um, and just time and time again showed him that they valued him as an employee, even though he maybe wasn't able to do everything that they wanted him to do throughout his work day. They just kind of made it work and he's been with them ever since. What shocks me about that is that he was a new employee because I can almost believe that story. Like, obviously, I believe you, but you can almost expect some sort of good treatment if you feel like you've been a great employee for that company and like really proven your worth so the fact that they were accommodating to this brand new fresh out of college employee who got a brain tumor like that's incredible mm -hmm. that they acted like that honestly part of that is just luck like i don't want to pretend like that's going to be everybody's experience but I appreciate you sharing that because it is possible to be treated with care and respect by a company that you haven't even really worked for <laughs> hardly at all. So props to them um, just for privacy reasons. We won't say who they are, but if anyone listening knows who they are, like major respect to this company. <laughs> and yeah, unfortunately that's probably not the norm. So this sort of brings me around to my experience one thing i just want to highlight is that just like we always say you have to be your own advocate and that applies to the medical space but it also applies to your job so for me i think i talked in the last episode about i let my professors know what was going on even though i wasn't the one that was sick that applied when i got a job as well i was working as an inpatient nurse the second time you got cancer and it literally happened on my second day. So just like the first time you were on your second day of college, the second time I was on my second day of my first big girl job out of college. Mm -hmm. And irony of all ironies, I was on a bone marrow transplant floor. And that's what you were going to go have. I appreciate to this day that you were on the children's side. So I did not work on your literal floor. But I was working with the same types of situations and patients uh, and it was the same hospital just like different area because it was adults so I told them uh, my new manager and staff right away and I mean they expressed care and concern but I was brand new so just like your husband when he had this happen I had barely started and the jump from nursing school to being a nurse is a big one anyway. And people often mm -hmm. say that first year is pretty difficult. And for me to be going through a family medical trauma at the same time 
and caring for families going through what my family was going through took a huge toll on my mental health. Yeah. And I didn't feel particularly supported by my boss or by the company at all. Part of that is probably on me. I have a habit in life that I'm working on of not expressing my needs until I can't stand it anymore, (laughs) Uh, which is not healthy. But part of it is, unfortunately, I think common to a hospital setting. It's this huge company, right? And you're sort of just a number. And it's my sister. And this is part of why I started this whole My Sister's Cancer website, podcast, everything. Especially once I was in adult world after college and you got cancer again. I felt like when people would hear that my sister had cancer, they would say something sweet in the moment and then completely forget by the next day or the next week that I was going through that. Yeah. Something about it being your sibling when you're an adult does not carry the same weight with acquaintances and coworkers as it being your spouse or your child. Obviously, I'm not trying to compare griefs here or say like it should be on the same level. These aren't things we can quantify. I just felt consistently with multiple people at work that it just was overlooked or not as big of a deal as if I had said, you know, my husband or my child. Because I saw other coworkers have situations come up with partners or children or their parents, right? Like aging parents. And those more direct lines of family mm-hmm. seem to carry more weight. And they literally carry more weight on paper because a lot of you have probably heard of FMLA, the Family Medical Leave Act. I'll link to the real details on this. I know it was kind of the United States answer to how we don't have any really federal right to like maternity care or any sort of care for anyone. It's bare bones, honestly, like compared to other developed nations. I I don't think I'm shocking anyone by saying we have terrible parental leave policies and caregiving policies here in the United States. Mm -hmm. But FMLA is something you can fill out if you work for a company that has more than 50 people. You have some rights under this act that they like can't fire you for missing your job due to um, needing to care for your family. But that doesn't apply to siblings. So that is something I could have filled out if you had been my parent or child or spouse. But as my sister, I'm just excluded from that. Mm -hmm. If anyone has inside information on this that I am wrong and things have changed, I would love to hear that. Please write us. But when I looked into it, there was no situation for siblings um, to take Mm -hmm time off which even outside of our context seems unfair like not everyone gets a partner or children or parents you know like I even wish you could take it for people you're not related to right like some people their friends or their family like Mm. especially as we age I just feel like I can think of people in my own life yeah who this would apply to where it might be difficult if you don't have that traditional 1950s nuclear family totally so I didn't need to miss a bunch of work. So in my case, Ella was very well taken care of by our parents. I didn't need to miss a bunch of work and need that FMLA. But it was just another reminder that like structurally there's nothing for siblings 
And if we hadn't had involved parents or mm-hmm. our parents were gone, you know, dead or whatever, like, I don't know how that would have worked. Is that something you said when you looked into it? Like, were you looking into FMLA because you were curious if it applied to you? Like, if you were able to take time off? I have hazy memories of this time, as we probably both do. But I do feel like someone, not at work, but someone in my life was like, oh, maybe you should just get that on file in case you need to take some time or whatever, Mm. which is totally a good suggestion so I I did look into it and at that time about what was that now like six years ago I don't think or at least from what I could find it didn't apply to my situation I do want to say whether or not you're covered by FMLA I totally recommend telling your boss as soon as you know you are allowed to share the information obviously it's up to the patient but then once you get their permission you know, tell your boss just so that if an emergency comes up and you have to leave, you can just leave or whatever. If you have HR, if you're at a company big enough, sometimes that's a good place to reach out to too. They might have other things you're not aware of to support you. The other key piece that I think I could have done a better job of is reminding people. Mm. So it sucks because the burden shouldn't be on the suffering to remind others of their suffering, right? But especially in a, in a large corporate type company or a job setting where you don't really have a great culture or a great team, you might have to remind your boss or your HR or whoever, hey, this is still going on. I still need XYZ or my output might not be as good or I need X day off. And I actually have email templates you can download on our website because I found that this was something Writing comes pretty easy to me, even like email writing. And I figured that was a tool I could put on our website for people. It's like I have a quitting email. So if you need to quit either a job or a volunteer obligation or a board because of your sibling's diagnosis or your own diagnosis, you can adjust that template. There's a, hey, cancer's in my life email, like the initial email. And then there's a reminder email. Mm. So the reminder email is what I'm mostly talking about right now, which is like, hey, remember two months ago I told you this, like, I've noticed that, you know, if you're having issues with getting your time off approved or even with like coworker attitudes, if you're having to miss work or you're not your normal self, like, you might just have to remind your boss and your team. Um, I wish that wasn't the case, but... People are busy in their own lives and who knows what they've got going on. And sometimes that's what you have to do. When you were just talking about coworkers, one thing came to mind that I wanted to be sure to mention is that I remember so clearly, honestly, I don't remember if it was the first or second time around. I want to say the first, but I could be wrong in that. Um, But some of our mom's coworkers donated their own PTO time off to her so that she could take that time off paid to be with me Mm -hmm. like they literally pulled their time off yeah so that she could have more time to be home with me Mm -hmm. and like I wasn't yet an adult in the working world so like PTO didn't quite have as much weight (laughs) as it does to me now but I remember even then just being so struck by the generosity the 
sacrificial giving like that was just that shocked me I thought that was so kind that is so kind I was later after you were better in an office setting where people did that for someone whose parent had died unexpectedly um Mm. because I think you get like three days of bereavement or whatever and of course that's not enough in some situations right and yeah, I forgot until you just said that now that they did that for mom. That is incredible because sometimes your work will give you time off, but not paid if you have an extenuating circumstance. So for them to give that up for her to continue to make some money while she cared for you, like, yeah, now that we've been around the block a little bit in adult jobs and we're more towards our late 20s, we understand like PTO is precious. Like your vacation days. Precious. Sometimes you don't even, like you earn them like one at a time, you know, over many months. And like there's never enough to go around. In America, again, we have terrible vacation policies in general, um, especially mid-sized companies, I think, as compared to like some of the bigger more nationwide global brands I think are tending to be a little bit more Mm -hmm. generous now that there's a lot of remote work and you can honestly like go work for a European company and get a way better policy I think that's starting to change but five years ago it was even worse than it is now and now it's not even that great so we have a scarcity mentality in America I think about our vacation because there's not much of it and we're gonna hold on to it Mm -hmm. so that's very generous that they did that for her And that brings up another important point, which is that, like, dad and mom were your main caregivers, and they still had to juggle the joys of a job with you as well. So, like, dad stayed on full time and just took occasional PTO days to be there for, like, major appointments. And mom, I feel like the first time you got sick, she made it work, and, like, I think she was part-time maybe already, but cut her hours and juggled stuff and then the second time I think she took a, like a complete leave of absence when you were doing a transplant so she could be with you but mm-hmm. regardless like she held down that same job through this entire time however they ended up slicing it yeah that's complicated when you are in a job where you have ongoing responsibilities and you got to lean on your coworkers to make up for your um, absence that's hard she's a social worker right she works with people like I think it's different from a job where you can just like clock in, do your thing, clock out, you peace out. Like when you're not there, it's not that big of a deal. But like with a job like that where you're working with people and like providing services to them and making sure they have the resources they need, like that's a really big deal. And that's a lot to keep track of on top of doing a lot at home. Yeah, thanks for saying that. I think in general, helping professions like nursing, teaching, social work, a lot of what historically we might have called the feminine professions, these helping professions, like they take a lot out of you from a compassion standpoint and a social standpoint. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying it's easy for anyone who goes and like is an architect or something, but yes, when you're already maxed out with your family member going through cancer it's very difficult to be in a helping profession where you turn around and give, 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 give. And of course you don't tell the patient or the client or your students what you're going through. I mean, maybe if you're a teacher and the kids are old enough to understand, you would. But in most professional settings, like as a nurse or social worker, 
yeah, you tell your coworkers and try to get support there, but it's not appropriate to tell each client and each patient, like, mm-hmm. you got to give me grace because I'm going through this thing. It's like, they're going to treat you however they want to treat you because they're also going through some hard stuff or they wouldn't be in front of you. Totally. It's tricky, all of this job stuff. And I mean, money, right? It comes down to money. We wouldn't have to endure this kind of stuff most of the time if we didn't need the income. Well, money and the health insurance piece, right? Mm. Like if dad had just, I don't know, walked away from his job, taken a leave, et cetera, like I don't really know what that would have done to the health insurance, but obviously there was a lot riding on that too because (laughs) without it, goodness knows. Well, I think you bring up an important point because again, throwing America under the bus, here our health insurance is majority of people have it tied to their job yeah people stay in dead-end jobs they hate because they have good benefits and they don't see another way out and for people like your husband he was between his parents insurance and his new jobs insurance when he first got diagnosed which we've touched on in the american healthcare episode yeah and for a lot of the aya population they find themselves in a really weird spot you can now stay on your parents insurance until you're 26 thanks to the Affordable Care Act. Mm-hmm. And I'm never, I can never remember, is it when you turn 26 or you get your whole year of being 26? No, I think it's when you turn 26. Like it's done when you turn 26. That's my understanding, yeah. We'll link to the real answer. But um, <laughs> that doesn't necessarily mean you're always on your parents' insurance. I remember there was a time when we were younger during the recession in like 08, that dad's insurance just quit doing, excuse me, dad's company quit doing family insurance. They would only insure their employees. And so you and me and mom had to get on like Medicaid or whatever because there was no other way for us to have insurance. And like at the time I was in middle school and like I was aware, but not aware enough, you know, which is good. But now I look back and I'm like, that's terrifying. Like, there are all kinds of situations in the U.S. where you fall through the cracks. And so I can only imagine that some people find themselves in sticky situations if they are working and get cancer themselves or have to care full time for somebody with cancer. And they're also the breadwinner. Like, there are just so many yeah, situations that are unfortunate with that. And I think another point that I want to draw out, too, is the fact that just cancer is never linear, right? And the timeline is always just changing. And I think we're going to talk about this more next week, like the different things that you experience that kind of throw off the timeline. But the reason I say this is like, you know, you could have something set up with your employer that, okay, I'm going to have these two months off because my child is going to have their transplant. And then for me, it was like my entire transplant got pushed back like two months. So then even if, you know, accommodations had been made at mom's work or whatever, it is constantly changing. So I think what you were saying earlier about like having those reminders and those ongoing conversations with your employer, your boss, HR, whoever, like, Unfortunately, it's going to have to be an ongoing conversation because cancer is always changing. And even a day when you think you're going to go in for treatment, like maybe your counts aren't good enough so you won't be able to get chemo. And then, boom, the whole schedule is thrown off. So I think that's just an important reminder, too, that 
that open dialogue, I think, is really important. Yeah, that's key. I've talked to various different survivors, and some of them will be like, yeah, I took every Friday off and did chemo. And it's like, I just can't even fathom that working out. Like, Mm -hmm. if it does for some people, that's awesome. But like you said, like, so many times due to your blood counts or due to even the hospital needs, like, oh, we're full. We can't fit you in on this day. Or your body didn't respond how we thought. Something showed up on your skin. Months and even years of your life can get shifted around and pushed back. And the day-to-day schedule, I mean, ugh. You just would know when you would go to chemo, that's my whole day. Like, okay, technically you're supposed to be there at X time for three hours, but we all know it's going to be basically your entire day. Unfortunately, because cancer is so common, one in three Americans will have it before they die. I like to think that people have some concept of how nebulous it is and how different it is, but not everyone does. And that's part of why we're doing this podcast Some of it's educational, like you might have to explain and advocate for yourself that it's not linear and plans change. Well, that's a good lead in to next week. We'll be talking about hiccups along the way in the treatment journey um, and going into more details on how plans do change and how cancer is never linear. So thanks for hanging with us. We appreciate you listening along and we'll catch you next time. 